Good afternoon, everyone. My name's Mike. I'm the pastor here. Good to see you all. Um, I'm going to invite Emily to the front. She's going to have to adjust that music stand. It seems like it's collapsing before our eyes. Uh, to read our sermon uh, scripture reading, which you can find on the back middle portion of your bulletin. I invite you to turn there. Let me just uh, get you up to speed. Um, we're doing a series through the gospel according to Luke. And Luke tells us in the first chapter that, that his, his writing is a carefully researched uh, firsthand account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of literature uh, that Emily's about to read from. Luke says that he has followed all things about Jesus very closely for some time past. And now in this writing, he's undertaken to give us an orderly account of these things. Why does Luke write? He's got a very particular purpose. If you go back to chapter one, um, he writes, so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. Luke writes, so that our faith will feel stable and steadfast and sure in actual historical uh, recountings of everything that took place. He wants to ground our hope. He wants to build our faith. Um, And we can have confidence, not only because Luke's word to us is um, orderly and, and, and closely Um, uh, tightly reasoned, Uh, this is also God's word to us today. Um, God himself is speaking to us through this word. And so our hope as we go through the gospel according to Luke certainly is that we we will hear Luke's voice, we will will gain certainty concerning the things that we've been taught, but also um, that uh, we would have certainty concerning this faith that's been passed down to us, that our, our hope would be grounded in who Jesus is through the power of the Spirit. Emily. Okay, Luke 3, verse 1 to 9. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees, Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us again. Father, thank you for your word to us. Um, We ask that you would bless this time as we look into it more closely, as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus in this text, uh, that you would find us ready, uh, that we'd be made ready by your spirit. So help us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So as you could tell from the text, uh, Luke 3, verses 1 through 9, we are on our way to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. We're, we're not there yet. We've been in Luke for a couple of months, 
early in, or late in 2021 and now into 2022, and we haven't yet heard Jesus' public ministry, his preaching, his teaching, his healing ministry. We've met Jesus' family, his extended family. We've met Jesus as a baby. Last week, we looked at Jesus as a young boy, and so we're really just on the cusp. We're on the verge of encountering Jesus about to step into his public work. And who is Jesus? Well, if you can remember from our earlier uh, look at Luke, we see that he's the long-promised king. He is the king coming into Israel. He is the son of David. He is the true heir to David's throne. He's the king of Israel. And at the same time, Jesus is the son of God. He's the creator and maker of all things. He is God with flesh coming to live with us. Uh, This is is an astounding time in Israel's history. Back in Luke chapter 1, the angel told Mary, who would be Jesus' mother, And he, Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so what we see in our passage here is Jesus is coming certainly to rule, to reign over his people. Uh, He is the king that they've been longing for, but there's actually more to him. Uh, If you look at uh, verse uh, verse 6 of chapter 3, the way of the Lord, the coming of Jesus, means that all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. Jesus is coming not just as king, but as savior. He's coming to rescue and to deliver his people from bondage. So again, we're on the cusp here in chapter three of of a world-altering event, a a big moment in Israel's history, the biggest moment in human history. But this passage in chapter three actually slows us down again, slows us down a bit, uh, because before the Lord Jesus comes, his way has to be prepared. Before the king comes, his people must be made ready. Britt and I were living in Ottawa when uh, Prince William and the Duchess, Kate, when she came to visit, that when they did their royal visit in, I think it was 2016. And in the weeks leading to their arrival, there was a lot of preparation being done in the city. Um, you know, stages set up around the city, you know, fresh flowers cut, people buying those dorky royal hats, no offense. The streets were being swept. Um, And behind the scenes, unbeknownst to us, but we knew this was happening, um, there were people being made ready for this visit. Dignitaries being invited. Parliamentarians were learning how to curtsy or to bow properly uh, in the face of royalty. Everyone was learning what titles they're supposed to address Will and Kate by, um, in what order they're supposed to speak, how they're supposed to stand, where their hands go. It was months and months of preparation before Will and Kate arrived. And so with Jesus, there's someone who is sent ahead to get things ready for Jesus's arrival too. And that's John the Baptist. That's his role. John's job is to prepare the people for Jesus's coming. Uh, If you look at verse four, long ago, the prophet Isaiah promised that this would happen. Who is John? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, when Will and Kate came, they were mostly in the downtown area. They were in the nice hotels, the nice suites. Uh, They were at the best restaurants. And so the people in the places that needed to be prepared for their coming uh, were mostly just downtown, urban, you know, people. Um, But Jesus is not like other kings. And so the preparation for Jesus is quite different. Where is John's preparatory work taking place? What area and what people are being made ready for his arrival? If you look at the end of verse 2, if you look at the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy, you see it. John is doing his preparations in the wilderness. 
uh, and this is what our, our, our sermon is going to demonstrate, is that the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness. This is a bit odd when we think of kings, when we think of royalty, when we think of big events, that Jesus would be in, in the wilderness, right? This is this isolated, lonely, unglamorous, uh, barren landscape. But this is where John, Jesus' forerunner, is doing his preparations. We're going to learn more about the nature of of Jesus's ministry by looking at the way that John prepares. And so our outline this afternoon is going to build on this main idea. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness. And this is the first thing we'll see. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. Runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. Uh, Luke 3, if you look at it, Emily did an excellent job pronouncing all of these regions and leaders. Um, it gives us our time and place. Remember, Luke isn't writing myth. He's not writing uh, legend. He's a historian. So he's giving us our time and place. This is the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. That is the current uh, Roman emperor. And under him are other leaders. Pontius Pilate, he's a Roman governor. He's uh, over the province of Judea, which is in southern Israel. That's where the great city of Jerusalem is and the, the temple lies. Um, and then there are three tetrarchs. Tetrarch is this word meaning ruler of a fourth part. Um, that's Herod, Philip, Lysantius, and they're mostly in the northern part of Israel, more sparsely populated. Uh, Pilate, maybe that name sounds familiar to you. He will appear later uh, in Luke uh, at Jesus's trial and eventual execution. He'll be a significant figure. Um, we don't hear too much more about the other tetrarchs, um, but just so you know, they're, they're kind of like spoiled princes. Like there, there's not really much that they have to do. Um, they are the sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great kind of had a, a larger rule, but he divided the kingdom into several smaller pieces. Um, and they don't really rule God's people in a good way. They enrich themselves on the backs of others. They're not really good leaders in Israel. There's another pair of people that are mentioned in this section, if you look, um, mentions particularly Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, these are the high priests. Actually, in ancient Israel, there was just one high priest at a time, and history tells us Annas was deposed by Rome, and they elevated Caiaphas. Really, Rome uh, got to have the final say in everything that took place in their occupied lands. Israel was conquered by Rome, so whether it was political or it was religious, Rome got the final say. So Caiaphas is actually the high priest. But he's not kind of like your traditional high priest. He is extremely wealthy. He's politically influential. He's very powerful. And similar to the Tetrarchs, he has a lot of uh, say over the lives of people and he uses power and, and, and coercion and oppression to get things done. These are the halls of power that we find in Israel at this time. But the way of the Lord isn't being prepared here. It's not being prepared among the powerful. The way of the Lord is being prepared way out in the wilderness. It's taking place in the sticks. It's taking place... Uh, it's taking place in a place that has no glamour, no glory, uh, no power to speak of. Jesus is coming, and he's the true king. He is actually the head of the government. He is the son of David, the son of God. He is coming to rule his people. He's coming to save them from his enemies. But he won't rule like the powerful rule. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. The way of the Lord is being prepared in this quiet sparsely populated region, a lonely place. And it's from there that God is bringing hope and salvation to his people. And as kind of an aside to this, 
believing this, really trusting that the way of the Lord goes through the wilderness, not through the halls of power, it teaches us that a Christian's hope uh, doesn't have to rest in the world's government, whatever government they might find themselves in. Whether they have a really good government or really bad government, we can have confidence that these governments will end ultimately. But Jesus' kingdom won't. The salvation, the help, the hope that comes from Jesus is lasting. Jesus' kingdom isn't dependent on, you know, whoever's in power in Rome at the time or in Ottawa or in Washington, D.C. Or, or, or whatever. Jesus is operating on a totally different wavelength than these other rulers. So whether you like who's in power right now or not, uh, Christians are called to sing along with the old hymn, put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend. He shall die to dust returning and his purposes shall end. So that's the first part. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. And the second part is the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness among rough folk, among rough folk. When Will and Kate visited, they got to visit with the most important, you know, cool people in Canada. Oddly, I didn't get an invitation. But apparently celebrities and politicians, professional athletes, people who were in the top of whatever field they found themselves in, they got to go to the meet and greet. Now, there were the occasional, you know, visits that the royalty would make into a hospital or to a soup kitchen or whatever, and they'd do the quick photo op, uh, but they'd be typically surrounded by dozens of security guards and metal barricades, and then it would be over. For their safety, Will and Kate just hung around with people with security clearance, right? Good reputations, good smiles, well-connected figures. John the Baptist is doing very different kinds of preparation work for King Jesus. His preparation is being done way out in the wilderness among rough folk. Crowds are gathering around John in the region around the Jordan, in the country. And all kinds of people would have been there. We don't see it in our text yet, but in the next couple verses, and Ben's going to be preaching on this next week, um, John particularly addresses two groups of people that are in this massive crowd, tax collectors and Roman soldiers. Now, these are, these are two categories of people that were not liked in Israel. They weren't respected. They weren't safe to be around. Tax collectors worked for Rome. They were notoriously corrupt. They would take more than they ought to have. Nobody liked them. Soldiers, too, worked for Rome. They were constantly extorting others. They were threatening them. They were using their power, the sword they had on their side, to kind of get what they wanted. They were not the white-collar, clean, professional, put-together kind of people that you would see in a photo with Will and Kate. But Jesus' kingdom is not like other kingdoms. And Jesus is not a king like any other king. These are the very people that are being prepared and being called to be there when Jesus comes. And there's actually a lot of hope when, when we understand this, that the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness among rough folk, because it tells us that anyone is welcome to King Jesus. There, there's no qualification that they need to reach in order to be welcomed into this kind of kingdom. The way of, the, the way of Jesus isn't for people who have it all together. It's not for people with bleached teeth. Quite the opposite. Jesus does his preparation work for Jesus' coming among the rough folk of that society because that is exactly who Jesus is going after. He's not going after the people with power and prestige. He's not in Jerusalem. Uh, he's going after the rough and tumble, the people who don't have it all together, the ones who most understand their desperate need for a king, the ones who know their desperate need for a savior. 
Jesus will later say, the healthy have no need for a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to myself. And this, this point, I think, is, is a good corrective to all of us um, who are tempted to sometimes look down our noses at certain kinds of people. It's rough people, people who are different than us, rougher speech, rougher dress, rougher whatever. People who are aesthetically different than us, stylistically perhaps, who hold different political or social or economic positions than us. Jesus came for people who were rough around the edges. Uh, these are the very kinds of people that we as a church are called to love, to welcome, to show hospitality towards. Will and Kate, they'll only take photo ops with these kinds of people, but otherwise they'll keep their distance. But the way of Jesus, uh, the way of the Lord, the very kingdom, the coming power of God is being prepared for such people as these. We need to remember that. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. It runs among rough folk. And third and finally, the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness and demands transformation. It demands transformation. I don't, I don't mean to pick on Will and Kate. I'm sure they're great people. But uh, a lot of the preparations um, for their arrival were just for show. Let's be honest, right? It was temporary. It was, you know, cleaning the streets up, getting everything looking fresh. You know, people would wear those silly hats. They learned to bow properly, but then it would be over. You know, once the visit was done, the flowers died, the hats got put in the box, and life just went back to normal. Their coming was really just, a, it was a brief stay. It was temporary. And so the change required, the type of preparations needed were very temporary. They're very short term. They, were, they weren't long lasting. But King Jesus is coming to stay. He's not going anywhere. Of his kingdom, of his reign, there will be no end. And so the change required must run very, very deep. Listen to the imagery that Isaiah uses to describe Jesus' coming. Look at verse 5 there. Um, the preparation needed. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. Preparing for Jesus, the preparation for Jesus that people require, it's not putting fresh flowers on their dining room table. It's not learning how to bow properly. It means you have to flatten a mountain. It means you have to smooth out every hill. There's a need for total transformation and nothing less will do. And this is where John's mission, where his work really comes into clarity. Um, if you look at verse three, John's calling is to proclaim a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is the kind of transformation that Jesus is expecting. Baptism then was a sign of renewal. John's baptism is similar to our Christian practice of baptism. It's, you know, it's different in important ways, but both are largely this, this symbol, this picture of washing, of cleansing away impurity, cleansing away sin, newness. It's this picture of transformation, of, of total change. And in John's day, uh, it was part of the conversion ritual for Gentiles. So if you weren't born Jewish and you wanted to be converted, you wanted to move into the Jewish people, you would need to undergo a certain ritual washing, a baptism with water. But something shocking is happening here in, in John chapter 3. It's, it's not obvious and apparent necessarily in Luke, but the other gospel writers highlight this, is that um, it's here, it is Jews that are being called to undergo this baptism. Not, not Gentiles, not foreigners wanting to come into God's people. It is God's people who need this dramatic transformation, this baptism. And John is saying that these Jews who are supposed to be God's people, they're supposed to be prepared for their king, they are totally unprepared. 
They've lost their way, and so they need a dramatic change. The harshest words of John, the harshest words of Jesus, they come for religious people. Uh, not, for, not for the rough folk, not for the people who are messes and they know it, but it comes for the people who think that they have it all together, the, the religious leaders, the ethnic Jews. <coughs> Excuse me. Apparently, um, some of them were coming to John out there in the Jordan, in the wilderness, and they didn't want a deep transformation, but they did want the outer appearance of it. They kind of wanted to, to join, the, uh, join the excitement. And John just calls them out for it, you know, double barrel. He just lets them have it. Some people were just treating baptism like it was a magic pill, like a spiritual hack. It was the equivalent to wearing a funny royal hat. They would say, look, look, look at me. I've, I've been baptized. I'm good. And some, they were counting on being ethnically Jewish, and they thought that that would be good enough. If you look at the middle of verse 8, some of them were saying, we have Abraham as our father. I'm Jewish, so I'm good. But in, John, uh, in verse 7, John, um, he calls people who practice a type of external religion like that, look at the words, calls them a brood of vipers. He's comparing them to a gang of poisonous, dangerous serpents. Rough words. And John says, he continues, they're not in the way of the Lord. They're in the way of an ax. They're going to face wrath for this type of external religiosity. God is angry with this. Uh, verse 9, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. This is a powerful picture of judgment. John is saying God is going to cut down any kind of religiosity like that. You may be outwardly adorned, but you're not inwardly transformed. See, the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, and it demands transformation. If you're a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, somebody who's an, who's an insider, similar to the ancient Jews that would have considered themselves insiders as well, John has a word for you. you look at verse 8. He says it to them. He says it to us now. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Let your walk match your talk. If you are part of God's kingdom, if Jesus is your king, if you've taken the cleansing of baptism, if you've repented of your sins, live like it. And, and so this, this can be an encouragement to you, all right? Press on. Don't get weary of doing good. Keep it up. Continue to worship. Continue to do the good that you've been called to do. Continue to turn away from the evil you know that God has told you not to do. When you sin, when you mess up, repent of it. Walk in, walk in the newness of life. Uh, do all the good that God calls you to do by the power of His Spirit. Uh, this is what we're called to do, this type of change. But we know that in each of us runs the heart of a hypocrite, somebody who's tempted to have external adornment uh, but not internal change. And as a church in Halifax, as individual Christians, the way we live has an enormous effect on the message of the kingdom that we preach, an enormous effect. Our walk impacts the credibility of our talk, whether positively or negatively. Uh, the writer Brendan Manning, I think, I think he may be overstating his case a little bit here, but, but it's provocative nonetheless. This is what he writes to Christians, and I think, I think we need to hear it. He writes, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Listen, Jesus is not a king like other kings. He doesn't want your silly hat. He doesn't want you to figure out how to bow in certain ways. He's not looking for lip service. 
He wants people who are deeply transformed by his power, who acknowledge him both as king with their lips and with their lives. The way of the Lord runs through the wilderness, not the halls of power. It runs among rough folk, and it demands for his people not outward adornment, but deep transformation. We can end here. <clears throat> the wilderness is a, is a very frequent image that's used in the Bible for a place of lifelessness. The wilderness is a place where you don't find hope, typically, where prospects for growth are, are absent, where death and despair reign. When Israel was rescued by God out of Egypt, God led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And in the wilderness, they had no resources, they had no land to cultivate, there was no water, no food, they had nothing. They were in the wilderness. But God was with them. And it was there in the wilderness that God provided for them, God protected them, God spoke to them, God did his work in them. And so here is a, here's a more poetic reading of this text, uh, a, a spiritual reading of it. Do you feel like you're in the wilderness right now? That God has led you into a place that is lifeless, that is lonely, that has little hope? Nothing is growing, things aren't going as you expected, you're in despair, I know that this isn't a comfortable place to be in, but listen, the way of the Lord runs through the wilderness. It is here where the way of the Lord is being prepared. It is here in the wilderness that the salvation that Jesus offers, the hope, life from the dead, water for thirsty souls, this is where it's experienced. Here in the wilderness, God has sent his son, and as Isaiah promised, all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. Now may you be prepared for the coming of God's kingdom. May you put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend, but rest your hope on the unending reign of King Jesus. May you show mercy and hospitality to those to whom Jesus comes for, those with very rough edges. May you continue uh, to do that which pleases Jesus and bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. And may you, who are in the wilderness right now, dry and weary, see the salvation of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you came to people who had need you came to those who had nothing in themselves that would, would vault us into a, a category with you. We didn't have to ascend to you, but you, in your mercy, descended to us. You came out to those who were in the wilderness. Father, for those who are here who have experienced your grace, who walk with you by faith, I pray that you would Strengthen them and help them by your spirit to continue to do that which pleases you. Father, for those who are living in rebellion, who have turned away from your way, that they would experience deep repentance and bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Father, for those who are simply despairing, they haven't yet seen the hope in Jesus Christ, that they would experience him now in the wilderness. Prepare them, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen.